Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, there are many ways of getting our show. You can download directly from our website at techcentral.ie. There's the uh, smartphone podcast app, a plethora of them, uh, including Podcast Addict, which is the one I'm using at the moment. Uh, you can use iTunes, of course, or you can turn us on on the radio every Friday on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. This week, as they would say in America, we're on special assignment. We're at the official launch of the Galaxy Note 7 here in Ireland and spoke to two very interesting people at the launch. In a few minutes' time, we'll hear from futurologist Rudy DeWale on all things mobile, virtual and more. But first, our editor Niall Kitson collared the director of Samsung in Ireland, Gary Tuick. I'm at the official launch of the Galaxy Note 7 this evening and here to talk to me a little bit about the device and about uh, phablets in general and about the, the mobile market at the moment. Uh, I've got Samsung Ireland director Gary Tuhig. So I guess to jump straight into uh, the subject at hand, Gary, the phablet, when, when I first came across one, uh, one of the early Galaxy Notes, it was in a corner of a room at IFA, which is at the time was still kind of trade focused and it was you know this is a large phone and it's a business device but phablets aren't really seen like that anymore it's kind of uh, you put out your range of smartphones in front of you and if one of them happens to be a phablet that's that's kind of it how did that kind of crossover happen because it's it's not often that you see a business device crossover into the consumer space it's usually the other way around sure well, I suppose looking back on that first phone that we launched, which was the Note, uh, the original Note with S Pen, um, it was about seven years ago, and we took a Samsung took a leap of faith, and we decided to create effectively create a new category within the smartphone market. Um, at Samsung, we identified that people we weren't, we weren't really thinking about it specifically as a business device. I think it was kind of put into that category by um, the marketplace, but. What we, were, what we understood was that for people who wanted greater productivity from their smartphone, but also wanted a more immersive entertainment experience, bigger screens are better. So we basically went with that and we, we kind of stuck to our guns and we believed in that category and we built it by launching our first note with the S Pen. Um, and actually a lot of people scoffed at that product initially, um, a lot of people in the market, but we, we, really, we really believed in it, in the category, and we maintained our focus on those products throughout their their life cycle and now today the large screen smartphones the fastest growing segment in the smartphone market um, and a lot of our closest rivals have followed Samsung suit and launched their uh, smart large large screen smartphones of their own but it's not just it's it's crossover it's, you need it to work it, it works equally well in a business environment where you need to, you know access to be able to read comfortably your email or um, or you know documents PowerPoint documents etc but also in a, from an entertainment uh, perspective, it's an amazing experience to uh, watch content on or video on, etc., or create your content on. I think that's kind of, uh, it has an awful lot in common with the, um, I don't want to say traditional, but the, the previous experience people had with first and second generation tablets that they were released as consumer devices. And then it was, yeah, but I want, I want to be able to do all this other stuff on it because it's, it's comfortable to use and it's, it's pleasant to use. This is kind of the, the same thing. that we're, we're almost in um, kind of a screen size arms race to a certain extent. We're looking at as many form factors as possible and seeing what people are comfortable with. That's kind of where the market is, isn't it? 
Yeah, like it's every there is a there's a we have a tight, but we have a you know a range, and we have we're aware that different people want different types of products and different screen sizes. But the great thing now about if you look at our Note Seven today that we're launching um, today tonight versus our original uh, Note, the product itself has got so much more streamlined. So you have a five point seven inch screen, but when you look at it, it looks you know not big or cumbersome whatsoever. Um, it's because basically we've almost got rid of it's almost bezel free completely so the screen fills the whole phone and it's really thin and light as well so you know phones 5.7 inch screens before this would have been had to have been a lot bigger but now because the technology has got so much um, more advanced we can squeeze that lovely screen size into a quite a comfortably uh, sized phone to hold in your hand one of the interesting things that has differentiated uh, an awful lot of Android vendors and, and specifically Samsung, seeing as you have the largest sort of Android market share at the moment, is um, the ability to do things at the competition on you know, a company that begins with A that we won't get bogged down in. Um, doing things like you know, the removable battery, expandable storage, that kind of thing. To which extent do these remain conscious decisions? Like, does, when feedback comes in from, you know, say, over the, the, the Alpha, for example, where people are like, you know, we, we can't change the battery, what's the, what's the deal with that? To what extent is product development a two-way process? It's a very good question. And uh, we have a terminology in Samsung that we use to guide us on our decisions, and it's called meaningful progress. So meaningful progress in Samsung, it's two things. It's one being very conscious and be very aware of our commitment to listen to our customers' needs, which is exactly on your point of expandable memory. We listened to our customers and we brought that back into our S7 and into our Note 7 because people really want it. Um, so it's a balance of listening to your customers' needs and giving them what they want, what they need, like good battery, long battery life, etc. But also it's important that we're also pioneers and we're thinking big and we're also anticipating their needs. So we've also got to look at pushing boundaries and looking at new things that the customer will find really beneficial but they maybe aren't aware of yet. So, for example, a good example of that would be the iris scanner that we've launched now on our Note 7, um, which, again, is pushing the boundaries. So it's adding that extra layer of technology to give better security to people on their smartphone um, that, 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 that haven't, they may, may not have specifically said, I want an iris scanner but we know that that's something, safety and, and, and security is something that people really want. Having sort of a, a pretty strong position in, in um, mobile at the moment across tablets and smartphones, one of the uh, questions that sort of pops up is the extent to which Samsung wants to develop that, that hard, hardware ecosystem where you can buy into the Samsung from one end of your, your experience yeah. to the other. Um, Samsung doesn't have that kind of footprint in the PC space at the moment in laptops uh, and in convertibles. Are we going to see a more aggressive approach where companies will come on and go, look, if you want to buy into our brand, we've got the entire range in front of you? Well, um, our ecosystem isn't, isn't stretching currently into the laptop space as we speak today. However, we've got a really wide, and um, we're expanding it every day. So good examples of our recent uh, launches within the ecosystem is our Gear VR headset. And, but it's, for VR, it's not just about the actual headset and, and the handset that goes in that to experience the VR. It's creating that content. So our Gear 360 VR camera that we also have launched on the market. But today, for example, I'm wearing a Gear Fit 2, um, which we'll be launching in Q4, which is our um, wearable, which is built-in GPS. Um, again, it's part of the ecosystem with our smartphone. And we've got a whole um, range of other prototypes in Samsung that we're working on that work within that ecosystem. So the ecosystem for Samsung is growing all the time. 
but it goes back to what I, what I mentioned in terms of meaningful progress. Important that we're creating things within our ecosystem that actually give benefit to our customers, something that really they are going to warm to and want to use on a daily basis. So we've really put the customer at the centre of our thinking process in terms of those connected um, products. Uh, on the subject of virtual reality, which is something I think everybody has an opinion on at this stage, um, Samsung really was sort of the first company to come to market with an affordable virtual reality solution in the um, Gear VR, which, which was sort of a, an ideal gateway drug, really, if you had a, a reasonably powerful smartphone, yeah. uh, you had a, a reasonably inexpensive headset to pair it with. When, you, when you're looking at a product like that, do you go, well, this is, this is a bit of a punt, and if it works, it works? Or are you going, were you thinking, look, we're working with Oculus, there are apps in the pipeline, this is an inevitability, let's come up with a way to do VR on mobile as opposed to desktop light? Yeah, um, the, like the thinking behind is a lot of very clever people, and a lot of people who know what they're doing, investing a lot in VR, and um, new companies are, are springing up specifically dedicated to the VR market and creating content so I expect and we expect VR to be here for a long time into the future maybe in different versions but VR in itself Um, Samsung obviously spotted that opportunity in its infancy um, and what we wanted to do is really bring that uh, to the masses in in a way that's affordable as you mentioned so for example it's a 99 euro uh, gear VR headset that you can get to pair with your Samsung phone. In fact, we're actually going to be giving it away free for pre-order for people who order the, the Note 7. So it's about we want to get the technology out there for people to use it and really experience it. Um, like in terms of the future as to where that goes uh, in your desktop versions of VR versus your portable, uh, you know, it's, gonna, it's only going to expand further. And there's a different type of customer, I believe, for both of those uh, use cases. Um, but the portability of the VR, the fact it's so light, so easy to use, means that it's a nice thing to share or thing to take with you when you're going on a flight or, um, or you know, in a business case as well. And companies can easily give them to their customers when required. Uh, I think that's an interesting point you raise about uh, sort of the different VR user, whether it's sort of the casual person who, whose idea of gaming is Candy Crush yeah. or somebody that's playing Doom for hours on end. Uh, do you think there will be a massive divergence in terms of the applications that will be developed to cater for both those spaces? I would expect so, yeah. It's, um, it's, I'm sure there'll be some applications that will cross over between the two. But uh, I think, as you mentioned, I think that that type of gamer is going to be expect, experience, expecting, you know, a really uh, a, a certain level of experience that they're going to want to get, and there's a lot of power required to provide that. However, that being said, with smartphones um, and the quality and the power that we now have built into our smartphones, the experience is amazing when you put on a VR headset, a portable, say, Gear VR headset with the Samsung S7 or Samsung Note 7. People are actually blown away by the quality. Uh, and clarity and speed that it renders at when you're watching the content. Um, so, so if they're definitely, I think they're going to stay as two different cases. There will be some crossover, but I think they're going to stay separate, in my view. And uh, I guess just to wrap up on, I, I always like to ask people what they think mobile can do better or which sort of technologies are underperforming at the moment, given the fact that smartphones are so feature-packed right now. Um, there are certainly things that are going extremely well for people. People can't get enough of better cameras, more storage, lighter form factor, etc. But you also have things that are kind of either regarded as throwaways or have underperformed. I'm, I'm looking at things like you know QR codes and scanners and um, NFC. So 
do you think there is a, a killer app along the way that will actually elevate something like that? I mean, when are we going to see Samsung Pay in Ireland, for example? Uh, there was a couple of questions there. Like, uh, in terms of things that we could do better, and I'm not necessarily just thinking about applications, but I think the whole world of IoT, uh, it, you know, it will get better. I think the initial kind of race to get there with products, probably we kind of, uh, we being the industry, um, put out a lot of products and conf- basically confuse customers. I think it's important that um, uh, that every product that is launched into the IoT space really serves a purpose and it's easy for the customer to set that up and use that product. Um, but I think they're coming now as well. So I, I, I think we've learned a lot in the industry from that and you're going to see much more clear communication of IoT, IoT solutions, let's say, in the future. Um, in terms of Samsung Pay, um, I, I do believe that's going to be coming very imminent. It's already out there. We've got we've launched in five countries now, um, and we're you know it's, it's performing strongly for us in those markets. And customers want that the the just the ease of use that comes with being able to pay for things with your smartphone. You you know in terms of me now on a daily basis, I'm using contactless cards all over Dublin. It's just easy, and, and you know you can transfer that into your smartphone experience, and obviously get some rewards on your phone while you're doing it, and an easy way to store it. So. Samsung Pay will be coming, but I don't have an exact date for when that's going to be. Um, and I think that will revol- revolutionise the payment industry here in Ireland again to its next level. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's TechCentral.ie. I'm speaking now with a futurologist and editor of Shift 2020, how technology will impact our future, uh, Rudy Diwala. Uh, Rudy, thank you for joining us on the show. And I guess to start off, you know, when we think of the future, uh, and when I say the future, let's go back maybe 20 years when we basically thought the future was going to be things we have now, only better or slightly more elaborate, or they can fly, or they're lighter, or these very um, kind of basic uh, add-ons to things that we already have. And it fueled mostly by curiosity or the will just to have things smaller, lighter, more portable. But the nature of change really... that's not really it anymore, is it? That's not what informs people's curiosity. Uh, would that be fair to say? Yeah, well, I think we always overestimate like what is to come, you know, in the short term, and we underestimate what's to come in the long term. Yeah. So, but if you look at it like a bit more in time, you know, it's always interesting to look back. You know, we look all the time into the future, but it's very interesting to look back of actually what happened of what we used to think that would happen. Yeah. So. Uh, I'm, I'm a 60s child, you know, I, I was a kid in the 60s and then early 70s went to school. So it was all about Star Trek and futurologists and like sp- uh, astronauts and, and, you know, going to the moon, things like that. But I remember we had an exercise uh, at our school. Uh, I probably I was in sixth year six or something. And they were asking us like, how is the year 2000 is going to look? You know, that was in probably 1972. And then we all were drawing flying cars. So, and we still don't have any flying cars, yeah? So, there's some people experimenting with it, and, you know, so we're getting closer to it. And then, on the other hand, you know, nobody at at that time would think about computers, you know, that would computers would be so uh, changing, you know, our landscape of everything we do, and then later on, the internet and then mobile. So, sometimes, you know, like, real changes happen where we don't see them, you know, in the longer term. 
But I think, you know, with experience also now, uh, we have learned that, you know, we look at a lot of trends as futurologists of like what is happening. We look at, you know, uh, adoption because sometimes the technology is there, but the human adoption is not ready. Google Glass is a good example of that. Yeah, or even voice technologies. They've been around for 10 years, you know. Virtual reality, augmented reality, they've been around for 20 years. Yeah, so uh, I had a project in Brussels where we had, you know, augmented and virtual reality with a silicon graphics 20 years ago. With this, you know, they were like huge helmets at the time. So, but we're getting closer now. Yeah, so uh, sometimes there's other things that are happening, as we see now with artificial intelligence that accelerate everything. Yeah, so now why everybody's talking about artificial intelligence because now you know the networks are fast enough yeah so there's uh, the connectivity is there everywhere so the the different types of you know heavy servers and heavy bandwidth you know exchange of data is accessible and that all of a sudden makes machine learning uh, all of a sudden you know like very possible yeah at this moment in time while well, it looks it looked also like this is going to you know take 10 15 years maybe i guess uh, what's interesting is that what's driving the change or the the major piece of infrastructure that's driving the change it's it's not you know the big heavy manufacturers or anything like that it's networks it's lighter it's faster networks it's networks that are abandoning copper in favor of light and fiber and this sort of thing it's it's almost something that again to look back at you know the year 2000 i don't think anyone would have said we're going to have great networks you know i i think it's it's um something that is underpinning everything but something that people you know fantasists like ourselves that would have gone in the year 2000 or to really push things out in the year 2020 you know this this is what we're going to see is it is a kind of um I, I guess the point is that it's the unseen material that's making things happen yeah totally you know like the muscle of pyramid you know like with all the you know self-esteem on the top and uh, social um uh things that have to be in place in order to be happy, you know, and then on the bottom, you know, now everybody needs Wi-Fi, <laughs> right? So, uh, which is like, yeah, I, I think for everybody, uh, for me, something that is very different, I've, I've been, uh, you know, in, in digital for 30 years, 20 years on the internet, 17 years mobile, and the last five years, I look more at like how technology is actually impacting society and business, is like, uh, you know, how fast certain things all of a sudden appear. Yeah, so um, the last year something has changed, you know. So I'm a public speaker for 15 years and then, you know, I always had to, you know, tell my audience like, okay, the internet is going to change everything. Yeah, Mobile is going to change everything. Social media is going to change everything. Coding apps is going to change everything. But now the last, let's say, 18 months, two years, I don't have to say that anymore because technology is everywhere now. You know, technology is the default. So everything that we do is with technology, even food, you know, it is now food tech. Yeah. So any type of sector gets to do with technology, you know. So before we talked about, you know, disruption, but now it's more about also how technology can enhance certain things or it can uh, amplify things and then uh, you will see now one of the big changes ahead the next 10 years is going to be in health yeah because there's this symbiosis between genetics synthetic biology you know neuroscience things like that that are all generating data now 
yeah, and then through the networks, now we can analyze the data. We can connect it to different sectors. And then all of a sudden, we get lots of new opportunities. Yeah, so recently there was a <clears throat> an AI that actually saved the life from a woman in Japan because it could analyze all the data of leukemia, of all the patients in that area, and it saw something that any doctor couldn't see. So because they can just, you know, just process a lot more data than we can. Uh, one of my friends in Belgium, he had a stem cell uh, therapy, you know, after a color disease, which is one of the most ferocious leukemia cancers. So they had written him off, and then he went for, you know, university uh, treatment, an academic treatment, and uh, miraculously, he's cured. Yeah? So in stem cell technology, there's going to be tremendous, tremendous possibilities also. The question is also like, yeah, we can literally uh, clone everything or we can recreate life from animals or human life. So there's big ethical questions about all that too. So do we really need to do that? You know, unless it's to heal someone, but you know, there's also this other trend of transhumanism where people really want to become um, uh, or embed technology in their life, in their, in their uh, body to actually beat longevity, you know, to become, you know, uh, use artificial organs and things like that to live longer and longer and longer. There's a whole trans area in, 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 that, in that area. But do we really want to go there? Yeah, because all that has huge implications on society also, you know. So what if everybody lives 200 years? I think the transhumanism argument is uh, particularly interesting because all of a sudden you get into the consumerization of the body yeah. that you decide, you know, well, my lung capacity isn't fantastic. I can either go to the gym mm -hmm. or I can save up a bunch of money and get something printed for myself. Uh, do you see that sort, of, um, that sort of future on the horizon where you will get, you know, 3D organ exchange where you just send off your um, maybe your genetic profile with, uh, you know, I want organ X and get something made up for you? Well, now in the U.S., I think it's the Institute of Regener Regenerative Medicine in California. They are actually treating um, uh, patients that are, you know, uh, basically um, they don't have any hope for any treatment anymore. So they transplant organs, you know, with them or they transplant uh, actually regenerative organs from their own cells. Yeah, so organ transplantation is already happening. Yeah, so everything that can save a human life will happen. Yeah, because it's just what we want. Yeah, we don't want anyone that we love to go. So, but um, we don't know exactly the implications yet of what that is. So, but the first test say that uh, one of the problems with uh, organs or exchanging organs or taking an organ from another human being is that the body, the human body actually rejects it. Yeah, rejects it. Yeah, so while it, when it's built from its own cells, apparently it helps. So 90% of these people there that they uh, have been doing implant with re uh, regenerative uh, organs survive. So these are pretty, you know, positive numbers. So we still have to see that impact on the longer term, but I think. Yeah, there's going to be also, there's more and more interfaces. Recently, I saw one from MIT where you can just like stick something on your body and then you can just start interacting with it, things like that. Or there will be, you know, um, lenses that are going to have, you know, super technological power to, you know, things like that. So there's going to be lots of applications that everything that can enhance the body uh, will happen. But I think on... Uh, 
you know, the bigger questions are like, you know, where do we go with all this technology? You know, like as of now, we rely already on dating websites that actually through an artificial intelligence, it tells me which fit is better or which match, you know, could be better. So everything becomes basically a fact or becomes a zero and a one, which I call the algorithmification of society, life and society. So once we do that, you know, what's the implication of all that? Yeah? Do we really want to be run by machines? Yeah? Or, you know, are we going to go back to our, you know, thousands of years of philosophy and ethics and morality and, you know, build a future that we really want? Yeah? So I think we're going to go in this very dual type of society also and dual type of questions, yeah? so which are very important for the future. It is a very interesting kind of um, tension where you look at sort of the, the algocrisization of society, I guess you might call it, but um, still finding um, space for more esoteric philosophical conversations as well and sort of educating people that, look, the, the two can exist in tandem. It's, it's not an either or, especially when you're exploring new technology. Uh, do you think... Um, just to look at the milestones that we're dealing with at the moment. I mean, I, the the last huge one was mobile in 2007. But ever since, it seems like we've been getting more milestones, but um, much more, much shorter gaps between them. Um, do you think this is because you know that mindset of you know um, making data informed decisions is forcing this almost you know um, scattershot approach to innovation? Well, we live in an era of exponential change, yeah, which is like all the elements that make that happen, which is like, you know, being connected, you know, good networks, data, and then the combining of all these elements create an acceleration of everything. Yeah, but once you're on the top level, you're going to a flat level again. Yeah, so, but um, the thing is also that, you know, through technology, everything gets accelerated and the trends are coming quicker and quicker. Yeah, it doesn't mean that, you know, the human adopts, you know, that quickly to that. So, but um, I think some of the big trends that are coming now is definitely voice. Yeah, so we will start interacting with any type of device. Yeah, uh, and also uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality. Yeah, so a new type of headset or the headsets that we know now, uh, that technology is going to go in the glasses and it's going to replace any type of screen. You'll be able to watch anything anywhere, you know, from your own glasses, you know. So, and then you don't need a keyboard anymore. You can just like pop it up and then, you know, just, you, you, as you, you will see people typing probably in the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I remember the first time I was in, in Seoul, it was in 2006, and I was already, you know, very much into, you know, data and from the movement from voice holding the phone to your ear to looking at the phone, which was then a disruption itself. Like who who, in a, who would look at his phone? But at that time, there were only people were holding phones to their ear to have a conversation. And then when I arrived in Seoul, I could see then, like literally at the bus stop, everybody was watching the phone. Yeah, so and now everywhere you go, everybody's watching the phone. So then I think the next big leap is that, you know, we will have interfaces all over in the air, you know, that we access through glasses and then in later states, even to contact lenses, you will not see the difference anymore of, uh, and that whole 
augmented or mixed reality has also, you know, is going to be a lot of advantages, but a lot of disadvantages too, so, which we'll need to think about. I think when it comes to um, augmented reality, the, the great negative case study uh, really was Google Glass. Do you think it was a device that had potential, but maybe was just pitched at the wrong space? Well, no, I think uh, it, it had potential, it had lots of positive sides, but what really... Uh, was the biggest mistake was that, uh, you know, there's a big difference if you have a device that can only see than to a device that can film. Yeah, so, and actually the biggest problem of Google Glass was that everybody started filming everything and everyone. And then the people just didn't want that to happen. Yeah, because you could only see it from a small light. Yeah, so uh, I remember in the beginning of phones uh, from the, uh, the normal mobile phone to smartphones, was also like, you know, there was a camera all of a sudden. All of a sudden, people started taking pictures from everyone. You know, there was a huge societal debate about that, you know, like, can we make that happen? And I think that was the, the thing that Google Glass actually, you know, that people got really, literally against it because there was a whole movement of like, you know, you can't enter in this ball with Google Glass or things like that. But I think on the technology side, you know, it shows the first signs of like, what is possible? Where are we going? And now even Mark Zuckerberg says that this technology of the virtual reality glasses or, or helmets that we have will be embedded in the glasses in you know this in ten years' time. And I think one of the interesting ways that um, the mobile revolution sort of changed how people interact was that it, it did effectively create the visual language. You know, people take selfies now; they use Snapchat. They they communicate quite differently to the way they did on their mobile phones pre-mobile. Do you think we're going to see this similar sort of change when the likes of virtual and augmented reality roll out? Um. Yeah, totally. I think every generation, you know, develops its own communicative way. Yeah, so which is always leapfrogging, you know, or something totally different than what, uh, you know, the generation beforehand did. Yeah, we see the same in music and now, you know, we see this extrapolating in technology. So, um, yeah, you can see already now the geeks in Silicon Valley, you know, like they have offices where there's literally no screens anymore. Yeah, everybody's walking around with their helmet and things like that and then they doing movements in the air. So um, I think, yes, every generation, you know, will have its own, you know, type of uh, language or, you know, awkward type of things that the other generation will find pretty awkward, yeah. So just to wrap up, what, what do you think um, distinguishes a technology, or, or, or to put it another way, what tech, at what stage does a technology reach a tipping point where you can say, okay, you can predict reasonably confidently this technology is going to go mainstream, or look, this was a nice experiment, but it, it's really not going to happen. Uh, have you seen something you know, before it's really been mass adopted, if you will, and gone, yeah, a year, two years, this is going to happen. What kind of aura does a new technology like that give off? Uh, well, I think you you really have to look at the market, you know, like when technology is ready and then also when, you know, market elements like distribution, you know, uh, production distribution uh, is possible. If you, if you can see like how the iPhone, you know, got adopted so quickly, you know, so fast, uh, and then even, uh, you know, Samsung and other smartphones, uh, how they are dominating the markets. Also, how, 
you know, the quality of the screens, the quality of, of a phone now is like, you know, 10 years ago, you could, we couldn't have imagined that. Yeah. So, uh, but um, I think, yeah, most of the, the technologies always go over a hype cycle. Yeah. So they, every, when there's a lot of talk about, you know, there's a lot of hype, hype about, and then they go downwards. And then actually when they're down, it's actually when the real markets is being built. Yeah, so if you look at self-driving cars, I was in, you know, Singularity University five years ago in 2011, and I saw my first self-driving car there in 2011. Five years later, 30 car manufacturers are building, you know, self-driving cars or self-driving technology. So I think that one is totally underestimated of how fast it's going to change. Yeah, so people say... You know, it's going to be 20 years, 30 years. I think this is literally, you know, in 10 years, you're going to see already, you know, a significant amount of cars are going to have self-driving functionalities. Yeah, so as, you know, if you look back 10 years from here, you know, certain type of technologies were not there. You know, smartphones were not, you know, like mass. Then, Mm -hmm. yeah, you could only see a couple of gigs, you know, self-driving cars is going to be the same. Yeah, so, and there's other technologies too, like, you know, augmented reality, as I mentioned before, and things like that. So, so it's a matter of what happens when things go quiet, as opposed to when the initial uh, excitement is there. Yes, exactly. As I mentioned in the beginning, we overestimate what's going to happen soon, and then we underestimate what's going to happen in 10 years. And that was Niall Kitson talking to futurologist Rudy DeWale. And before that, the director of Samsung Ireland, Gary Tuig, at the official launch of the Samsung Galaxy Note 7. That's it for our show for today. You maybe get more on everything you've heard on the show, as well as all the latest Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more from techcentral.ie, as well as our weekly tech radio show here online and every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, thank Thanks so much for listening. Take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.